I love the, the lyrics we were just singing. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. We really are believing for that. Um, I believe we've been in the midst of it these last 6, 12 months, not just here at Overflow, but in our family of churches. God is not just reviving, but he's doing some really cool things. We're going to talk about them here in a second. But I'm just going to jump in. If you have a Bible, open it up. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to start in Matthew 28, then make a run to Matthew cha- chapter 4. And uh, really today we're just going to talk about mission. Like I thought, man, if this is like... I guarantee you this isn't my last sermon at Overflow by any means. We already got me on the schedule, I think, for a couple more. But uh, I genuinely mean it. Like, I just moved up here to Michigan. I'm definitely going to be the crazy uncle that just comes and hangs out with you guys. Um, even when I'm not preaching, I just kind of like you guys. I don't know if you all like me, but I'll be around. Um, but I thought, like, what would I want to talk about today? And I just want to talk about our mission. On the count of three, everybody say the word mission. One, two, three. Mission. Because I don't know if you know this, like, mission or missions... Like this idea of evangelism, this idea of of making disciples, this idea of what we're called to as the church, what we're called to as Christ followers. It's really kind of a loaded topic. Like this idea of missions, right? When I say missions, some of us that have grown up in church, we have a context for that. We're like, oh, the missionary. And and over the centuries of like church history, missions and the church have kind of like zigzagged, have like crossed paths. Like for a lot of Western church, we've like abdicated, we've outsourced missions, to like 501c3 organizations or nonprofits or NGOs or something like that. Other times in humanity in the history of the church, um, missions have been almost like safeguarded by the church where we wouldn't let people run and do what God had on them. It's been a really kind of like toxic relationship. But I don't know if you know this, like missions and the church are not mutually exclusive. The, the church has been, ever since Acts chapter 2, when the church was launched, the church has been called to be on mission. Somebody say, I'm on mission. mission. Now say it like you mean it. Say, I'm on mission. Look at the person next to you and say, you're on mission. If you've said yes to Jesus, which is what we're all about here, Jesus and his word, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are on mission. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus breaks down what the mission for you and I is every day of our lives, if we've said yes to following him. I, I, like, the, ooh, that was nice. Like our movement. Thank you, Joel. That was, that was sweet. It caught me. Isn't, like, isn't our state, like, Joel, y'all do such a great go- job. Can we give the tech team a hand and the production team? Like, it just keeps, like, getting better and better and better. Can't wait to see what you guys do for Christmas. No pressure. Um, <laughs> it's going to be fun. But uh, in this mission, like Jesus gives us our marching orders. He gives us the mission in Matthew chapter 28. If you don't know the story, if you didn't grow up in church, first off, I'm really glad you're here or I'm really glad you're watching online. You're one of the main reasons we do this whole thing. Maybe you're just checking out this God thing. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you just came because you thought she was cute and this was your chance to like sit at the coffee bar with her, whatever. Like, I'm glad you're here. But if you don't know the story of Jesus, short version is we believe he is the son of God. We believe he was fully man. He lived perfectly for 33 years. He did three years of ministry. And in those three years of ministry, he taught, he preached, he healed. And then he died on a cross in our place. He stayed dead for three days. Back then there was no resuscitators. It wasn't like Jesus clear, like none of that happened. And then after being buried in a tomb for three days, we actually believe he rose from the grave. Not only did he raise from the grave, he ascended into heaven. He loved us enough. He sent his Holy Spirit to help us and guide us while he is preparing a place for us. And he's coming back for us. Like, that's actually what we believe. And I'll say it all the time. I'll just say it right off the bat. Like, a lot of people in Church of Christianity, and guys, like I said, this is like one of my last ones. So I'm just going to go in. Like, do y'all mind? 
I'm just going to just tell you what I think and believe. And hopefully, if it aligns with Scripture, receive it. If it doesn't, forget it. But, like, if somebody can predict their own death, burial, and resurrection and pull it off, I follow them. That's it. That's it. A lot of people have issues with, like, the Old Testament. Was there a flood? Was there not? What about dinosaurs? Was the earth created in seven days? I, like, you can argue all that to your blue in the face. But if somebody predicts their own death, burial, and resurrection and actually does it, I'm listening to what that person says. Because no one else in all of humanity, not Buddha, not Muhammad, nobody has ever done that. And there is biblical evidence that Jesus did that. And there is evidence outside of the Bible that there was a man that predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection and pulled it off. And it was so powerful, it literally split humanity's timeline in half. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas is the birth of that promise, that Messiah that came and did that. And so after Jesus rose from the grave, like, I just love that. It was like the ultimate like stamp of approval. Like, yeah, everything I said, I meant it and I can follow through. Once somebody beats death, you're like, I believe everything you say. Right. And then he gathers his boys together. He gathers his disciples together. And in Matthew 28, he gives them their mission. He gives them and he gives us our mission. And it's so funny, like churches, we all have like mission statements. And I love that. I love a good, creative, powerful, impactful mission statement. But every church mission statement, if it's a good one, should just be a rewording of this. If you want to know what Water's Edge, our family of churches, is all about, if you want to know what Overflow is all about under Pastor Brian and Cindy in my last year here, can y'all believe I've been here over a year? That's crazy. That flew by. It was awesome. Um, Anyways, I was just thinking about that. Like, I didn't want to make it to another snowy season, but I did. And y'all tricked me into moving up here. So here we go. Um, but like, if you want to know what Pastor Brian's about, if you want to know what I'm about, if you want to know what Pastor Elijah's about, Matthew 28, this is our mission. The, the, the title of it is the great commission because Jesus looked at his disciples and he looks at us today through the barrel of antiquity. And he says, this is your commission. I am commissioning you. So what does he say? He says in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority, somebody say all. In the Greek, that actually means all. He said, all authority. Some of you are like, ooh, he's going to get in the Greek and Hebrew. No, it's an accurate translation. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I could preach all day on that one verse. Some of you are like, how? Like, just think about the nuances in that sentence. All authority in heaven and on earth. That means everything you can see. Jesus has authority over it. And it means everything you can't see, Jesus has authority over it. Jesus has authority. He has power over the unseen and seen. He has power over your mountaintops and valleys. He has the power over your happiness and joy and over your depression and sadness. He has power in any circumstance, in any environment, in any and every season of your life. And if you woke up today and you're a Christ follower, that is enough to go, whoa! Because it means no matter what you're facing or what you're going through, the Savior, Messiah, King that you follow has authority over it. So if he's allowing you to experience it, it's because it's for your good. And if it feels good, that's even better. And if it doesn't, it's okay because we win in the end because he has authority. And then I said I could preach all day on that because it says Jesus proclaims all authority has been given to me. So that means 
a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely equal, are also completely submissive to one another. Like, that's what we're called to as Christ followers. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to be like the Trinity in community, in unity. In other words, Jesus was the agent of creation. He was God in the flesh. He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He's all the O's. He's all the power. And yet it said he received authority from the Father. That's a whole nother theological bombshell message that if you love Jesus in the Bible, I would encourage you to dig into, but that's not my message today. So it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth, the seen and unseen has been given to me. And then we jump into the great commission. Go. Somebody say go. go. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to go. If you don't have a neighbor, it's time to go. I got you. It's time to go. It's time to go. Yeah. It's time to go back row. It's time to go. Right? Like it's time to go. He says, go. The, the, the mission of following Jesus is one of movement. Go. It is hard to keep something stable when it's standing still. You want stability? Get momentum and movement and things tend to stabilize. It, it's a boat or a car, anything in your life, even a top. You give it movement, it can stand up. Jesus said we are on a moving mission. So he says, go, therefore. The therefore is there because of what he said. He said, I have all authority. So in light of that, here's what I'm telling you. Go. And he says, go, therefore, and make so you and I are called to make something. Every single day of our lives, if we said yes to Jesus, we are being called to craft something, to make something. He says, go and make disciples. I love that word. That is an, we don't use that word much, right? You're like, hey, I'm Travis, I'm a disciple, right? Like we don't say that, like, are you a disciple of the most high? Nobody says that anymore. That's not really a word we use anymore, but it's a powerful word. The root word of disciple is discipline. Go therefore and make disciplined people. Go therefore and make disciples. Millennials, we don't like that word, discipline. We're like, ah, nah, it feels like punishment, right? Like I must discipline you. But anybody that's been on earth for a minute knows that real discipline leads to real freedom. Real discipline in our lives leads to good decisions, leads to the best things for us. And it's not discipline like you're being disciplined. It's like I am disciplining myself to a better way of life. Uh, uh, another thing I like to point out here is it doesn't say go, therefore go and make converts. It says, therefore go and make disciples. If you want to know what overflow is like really about what our mission is, we are not about having people pray a certain prayer, sequence of words, or raise their hand and think they got their get out of hell free card. That is not the gospel. Jesus never preached that. If you look, the salvation sinner's prayer is nowhere in the Bible. Now, I, am, I believe in a prayer of salvation, but it's not about the sequence of words you say. If, it's, if it was about the right words, that would be an incantation. That's witchcraft. We don't believe that. It's about the posture of the person's heart. And we are about introducing people to a Jesus that loved them so much that he died on a cross for them. They encounter him and, yes, publicly profess that because it is a privilege to do so. But then we don't just carry on and live our lives the way we want to. We become disciples. We, here's a modern-day word, apprentices under Jesus. 
You know what an apprentice is? Like back in the day, if you were an apprentice of a shoemaker or apprentice of a blacksmith or an apprentice of an accountant, you would literally like go live with them. You would learn the way they walk, they talk, they eat. You would learn their craft. And then you would not just learn about their craft. You would do it. And you would do it over and over and over again until you could do it as good as them. And then they would release you to do it on your own. And then your goal would be to do it better than them. That's what it means to be an apprentice. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's not about just going, hey, Jesus, thanks. I believe in you, so I'm good for eternity. No hell, right? No, it's Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. And now I'm going to shift my entire life and will under yours. I'm going to learn your way of living. I'm going to apprentice under you until the day that I die, because in doing so, I literally bring heaven down to earth in my marriage. I bring heaven down to earth in my family. I bring heaven down to earth in Benton Harbor, and we become less racist. Poverty goes down. Divorce rates go down. The community gets better when it looks more like heaven when we apprentice under Jesus. Does that make sense? So he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Somebody say nations. Oh, I love this part. Oh, my gosh. Go and make disciples. God bless the USA. Amen. 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 Like, I, I mean that. There used to be this movie. I think Will Ferrell was in it. He used to say, like, God bless the USA and no one else. <laughs> he meant it as a joke, a little bit of political satire. But if we're honest, sometimes I think we act like that or people act like that. God bless the USA and no one else. Right. But what is this? Go make disciples of all nations. In other words, that means, yes, make disciples in the United States. Yes. Yes. Amen. Right? And it means make disciples of Mexico and Guatemala and Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Pura Vida, right? Of Peru, of Argentina, of Brazil, right? It means make disciples of France and Great Britain and Ireland. It means make disciples in the Philippines and Thailand. It means make disciples in China. It means make disciples in South Korea and North Korea. It means make disciples in Iraq and Iran. You know what it really means? It means we want them to get saved and we value their lives as much as we do United States citizens. Because once we say yes to the kingdom of God, we are in a global kingdom that just wants to see the lost get saved no matter your ethnicity or birthplace of origin. It is about making disciples of all nations. And we value people equally because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen. Amen. This is why this commission, this mission is life, life transformative. You no longer, your race is kingdom. Your ethnicity is kingdom. The Bible says that we are not of this world, but our home is in heaven. Jesus literally looks at people and he says, in the kingdom of God, there is no Scythian slave or Jew. There is no male or female. There is no slave nor free. In other words, we are all of equal value and we all need this commission. We all need this gospel. We all need this. And again, it just changes the way you look at people. It changes the way you live. I told y'all it's like one of my last ones, so I'm going for it. I hope you don't mind. Thank you, Joel. You're a great encourager. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. If you've said yes to following Jesus, accepted the greatest gift that there ever is. If you've done that, your first step is getting baptized. The Greek word here is baptismo, which means to dunk under. Think of like an Oreo in milk. If you're a good one, you dunk it all the way in, right? That's literally what it means, to be completely submerged. I'll just say this. If you haven't been baptized and you've said yes to Jesus, that's your move today. Don't delay the obey. 
Don't expect to live a life of following Jesus when you miss the first step in the equation. Jesus says, put on the God jersey, make a public declaration that you're in the kingdom of God, that you're on our team. And in doing so, you'll look back on that and be like, man, if I could get wet in front of a bunch of strangers and people I hardly know, I can do just about anything. Because that was awkward, but I obeyed God. So even when it's hard, I can look back at that landmark and go, I can obey now because I obeyed then. It's a beautiful thing when God asks us to get baptized. And the colder it is, the more you remember it. So if you need to get baptized, Lake Michigan's right there. We'll go right now today. No, we'll fill up a tub for you in here. Some of you are like, pneumonia for Jesus? No, we're not doing that. But baptism is your next move. And I'll just say, I, this is the second service, so I can go as long as I want, right? Amen. Okay, cool. Thank you all for agreeing. <laughs> Y'all are like, nah, man, it's Sunday, NFL football. Come on now. Um, but like baptism, like some of us, maybe we grew up Catholic and we got baptized as a baby. And we're like, ooh, I've already been baptized. Like, how does this work? Like, I'll just clear that up for you. In the Bible, biblical baptism is always when a person of consciousness makes the decision to follow Jesus and baptism always follows the decision of following Jesus. So if you were baptized or christened as a baby, that's a beautiful thing. That's a good thing your parents were trying to do. That's your, the way of the parents dedicating to raise you in a godly home, to raise you under the blessing of God, and to point you towards him. That is amazing. And in a lot of ways, once you make the decision for yourself to follow him, and then you make the decision to get baptized, in a lot of ways, it's completing what your parents wished for you when you were a child. And you're making that decision for yourself. I was in South Florida, and that one sentence, South Florida is a very Catholic area, you know, and I was, it was like a crowd of 2,000 people, and I said, how many of you were baptized as a baby? And over half the crowd raised their hand. And I was like, see, you're not alone. And, and it was like, but if you haven't made that decision for yourself, today's your day. And over 400 of those people got in a pool that afternoon. Because we don't delay the obey. You don't need a class. It's just about taking your next step on a God journey. And so the mission for all of us is to go and make disciples, not converts, apprentices of Jesus, of all nations, no matter where they're at, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, triune God, teaching. Somebody say teaching. teaching. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, check this. This was his commission to every Christ follower. So if you're sitting here and you've said yes to Jesus, you get to teach the class. You are a teacher of God's words and ways. Some of us are like, nah, bro, that's the pastor's job. You went to seminary. You know the stuff, right? No, that's Joel's job. He's the worship leader. That's the, that's the church staff. They're the teachers. Nope. Jesus said, if you've said yes to him, you get to teach people his ways. That's your mission. That's the mission. Like Jesus himself modeled this. Jesus did three primary things in his ministry while he was here. He taught, he preached, and he healed. He was a teacher, a preacher, and a healer. Teacher, preacher, healer. You can read the Gospels. Those are the main three things he did. Healing, we understand, right? Lame, walk, blind, see, like shriveled hand, extend. Like Jesus did that stuff. Teaching and preaching, did y'all know there's a difference between those two? There's a drastic, those are two different gifts in the Bible. Side note, I'm going to say a lot of stuff in this service I didn't get to say in the last service because it's fun, and I just get, I get more tired as each service, so I kind of shoot from the hip more, but I find that to be Holy Spirit anointed. So, but like, do you know, like, in the Bible, it actually says there's five different roles that are leadership roles in the church, the acronym APEPT, apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers, and teachers. Like, that's the, the or pastors and teachers, that's the leadership of the church. You know, pastoring is just one of the leader, leadership gifts. That means shepherding, like somebody that gives you a hug, sits down and listens to you, wants to just take care of you. That's a pastoral gift. 
I actually don't feel very pastorally gifted. That's like number three or four on my gift mix. But what's funny in modern day churches is we force and we put the pressure of all five gifts on one man or woman. And we say, you're a pastor, we need you to be all five of these. That was never the biblical design. The biblical design for leadership was a team of people, each gifted in these different areas, functioning in unity and community together. That's why we have a CLT with Sharon and Andrew and these guys, because they have gifts. That's why we have a staff and executive team, because they have gifts, because it's not all about one person leading a church. Yes, we call them a pastor because we are responsible to shepherd, but many of us are preachers, many of us are teachers, and Jesus was both. Preaching is the proclamation of truth. That's what preaching is. So earlier when I said Jesus died on a cross, he was dead for three days, he rose from the grave victoriously, killing sin, death, and hell, and establishing his kingdom on earth and eternity, he then rose into heaven, preparing a place for us, sending his Holy Spirit, and he's coming back for us. That's preaching. That's preaching. Can I get an amen on that at least? Like that was good. Like not because I was good, but like that's good stuff. That's preaching. It's the proclamation of truth, and Jesus did that. Teaching is what does that look like on Monday? That's teaching. Teaching is how does the gospel play out on my Wednesday at work? Teaching is what does this actually look like? Jesus did that through parables. He did that directly. That's why I love like at Overflow, it's not about one person in our Water's Edge family of churches. It's not about one communicator. Like even this last year, like Chad and I, we like tag team in like a WWE team. Like it's so great because I tend to be a little bit more of a preacher. Some of you are like, at least he's self-aware, right? Like, you know that. Like, I'm just like, ah, like, I just love proclaiming truth. Chad can preach. He can throw down. But Chad's a great teacher. That dude knows the word of God. Y'all know he almost, like, speaks fluent Greek and Hebrew? Who does that? Like, it's amazing. And so what's fun is Chad and I get to exercise our gifts together. And so Chad will come and teach, and then he tags me in, and I, like, suplex you guys with some preaching. And then I tag him back in, and he teaches you. And it's just this great. And I think with Elijah coming in, you're going to see even more of that to another level. When this leadership gifting flexes together, and Jesus showed us that because he was a preacher, a teacher, and a healer. And we're called to all three of those things, too. And so here in the mission of every Christ follower, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And this is why it's the great commission. A, because you're commissioned, but B, because it is a co-mission. And Jesus ends it by saying, and lo, and behold, I am with you. You're not alone in this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, till the end of time. You're not alone. Because he literally looked at 11 dudes. And he was like, go and save the world. And they were like, ah. <laughs> How? And he's like, make disciples. Same thing I did to you. Do with other people. Baptize and teach them. And they're just like, the whole world? And he's like, yeah, but don't worry. I'm with you. And all authority has been given to me. You got this. Because I got you. That's the encouragement today. Now, as I say all that, that's the, that's the Great Commission. We've all heard it. As I say all that, for some of us, like we grew up in church, we've heard it so much, we memorized it, it, it's become numb. We're like, oh, yeah, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. Some of us, maybe we didn't grow up in church, and that's like flying over our heads. We're like, what? Like, I'm supposed to do all that? How do, you know, what is this? What I love about Jesus is he was a master teacher, and he had this way of simplifying deep truths. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he simplifies, in my opinion, this message to a fisherman. Did y'all know that four out of the 12 disciples were fishermen? Peter and his brother, Andrew, 
And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, later they were called the sons of thunder, one of the best nicknames in the world. But four out of one third of the guys that changed the trajectory of humanity, one third of the disciples were fishermen. You got to stop and ask your question of all professions, why? Any fishermen? Anybody like to fish in the house? Anybody? All right, cool. Yeah, that was nice. You kind of sit up front. That was really, except, well, I know you're a volunteer, so thanks. Hold down the back. But like, why fishermen? And I got to think about it. I think it's for two reasons. One, because fishermen understand patience. They know what it's like to sit out there and not reel in a catch time after time after time after time. And sometimes ministry can feel like that. Sometimes ministry, like, how many of you know people take patience? <laughs> a little bit, right? People take patience. And I think fishermen understood that. But on top of that, I think fishermen knew how to tell a story. You've been around fishermen. They're like, I caught a fish this big. Now, right now, I'm not saying they exaggerate, but fishermen sit around so long. They learn how to be very articulate. They learn how to be very engaging. And so when Jesus wanted to tell the best story ever told, why not get some of the best storytellers? These common everyday men that could relate to the working class people and also could articulate a story well. And so he, he comes up to the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, the Sea of Galilee is actually a lake. Um, they would call any large body of water back then a sea. So imagine, like, coming up to Lake Michigan, like half the side of Lake Michigan. And Jesus strolls up here, and it's right before he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you ever want to preach, if you ever want to teach, like, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the greatest sermon ever preached, hands down. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. That's actually a bad title because it just tells you where he taught it. That would be like today if I was like, the title of my message is The Sermon on the Stage. You would all be like, okay, right? A better title, I think, would be The Sermon of the Monarchy. Because in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he breaks down the kingdom of God. But right before he goes to teach and preach, he calls some disciples and commissions them in a very simple way. He looks at Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, follow me. Follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Follow me. Notice he doesn't say, find me. And there is a difference. So many of us in our religious pursuits, in our Christian pursuits, in our church pursuits, we think it's about finding God. And let me say it this way. We think it's about arriving at a destination. Can I just, hopefully this is encouraging to you, but can I just be real? At no point on this side of eternity do I think any of us will be like, I understand everything now. All truths of eternity and earth and heaven and every way I should walk, talk, and speak has now been made clear. I have arrived. That's not going to happen for anybody, right? Praise God. Everybody take a deep breath. Like, that's just, that's good. Because Jesus didn't say, find me. He didn't say, arrive at a spiritual enlightenment. He didn't say, you'll make it to this nirvana place on this side of eternity. He just said, follow me. And we said, go and make disciples. What I love about Jesus, you know what Jesus' method of discipleship was? Hey, come follow me. Watch what I do. And then before you're ready, I'm going to give you the chance to do it. And you're going to fail miserably over and over and over again. But I'm with you, and I'm going to help you fail forward. That was his method of discipleship. You're like, nah, was it really? Y'all remember when like 5,000 men, more than like 15,000, 20,000 people were hungry and the disciples came up and they were like, hey, everybody's hungry. And what did Jesus say? Jesus didn't say, hey, I'll feed them. Jesus looked at them and said, will you feed them? In other words, this is discipleship. You've seen me move. You've seen how I work. Now it's your turn. And what did they do? They came back to Jesus with a Lunchable. 
for five to 15,000 people, and they were like, ah, we stole a little boy's lunch. This is all we got, Jesus. I just imagine Jesus was just like, I need another two years with these guys, right? Like, it was just... And what did he teach them? Faith and miracles, right? Like time after time after time. There was, a, there was a time when they left the town that was mean to them. And James and John, the reason they got the nickname Sons of Thunder is because they looked at Jesus and they said, can we call down fire and kill everybody there? And Jesus was just like, you're not getting it, right? Like, but their method of discipleship was just follow me and fail forward. Follow me and fail forward. Some of you are not in a small group. Some of you are not serving. Some of you are not inviting your neighbors. Some of you are not teaching what the little Bible you know to the people around you because you believe you're not ready. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is, I know I'm not ready, but I'm following. Let's go. This is, I'm going to fail a lot. Yeah. And we just fail forward and we fail forward. That's why it's a ministry of grace and mercy. Because we just pick each other up and go, great attempt. Let's keep going, right? Good try. That's discipleship. And so he looks at Peter and he says, follow me. But then I love this. He contextualizes the great commission for his career. He says, hey, fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, everything you understand about life, your career, the way you network, the way you make friends, it all revolves around fishing. So I'm going to take your understanding and your talents and your abilities, and I'm going to pivot them towards the greatest thing in eternity, the kingdom of God. And instead of casting and fishing for fish, you are now going to get to catch souls for the kingdom of God. Amen. See, some of you are sitting out here and you're like, what does the Great Commission mean for me? I'm an accountant. How do I go and save the world? It would be like Jesus looking at you and saying, follow me and I will help you account for men. Oh, what is that? How does that change your Monday? Now these numbers aren't just a bottom line to make money for my company. I'm literally accounting for the sake of saving souls. It changes the way you are. Man, I'm just a third grade teacher. Follow me and I'll help you teach men. Teach them the way to eternity. Man, I'm just a nurse. Follow me and I'll help you heal men for the rest of your life. I love that Jesus takes this context and he makes it kingdom. And so the title of my message today is Go Fish. Look at somebody and say, Go Fish, like the old card game. Tell them, Go Fish, Go Fish. Y'all didn't know that was all an intro. So here we go. Now we're digging it. No. But the title of my message is Go Fish. Because for the last few minutes, I just want to talk about what it looks like to go fish, what it looks like to evangelize, what it looks like to live out this mission of being fishers of men. Because that illustration, that analogy works perfectly. What does a fisherman do? They catch fish. And Jesus said, hey, I now want you to catch men for the kingdom. I want you to help set people free and show them love and mercy and peace and joy found in Jesus. This is what we do now. Now, as I've heard this, I've heard this preached over and over and over again. I've heard it at conferences. I've even heard this in a secular TED talk. I've heard this in sermons. I've read this in books. And it's always like this. Like, Joel, is Joel around? Yeah. Joel, can you bring out um, my fishing tool? Yeah. So y'all give Joel a hand. He's amazing. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate you, man. I think this is actually his fishing pole. But um, as I've heard this message, I've heard it preached like this. It's time to go fish. We got to catch as many people as we can in Benton Harbor and St. Joe and in Southwest Michigan and around the world. Let's get to fishing. And so what do we do? We all get in our local boats, our church. And we've talked about it here before at Overflow, right? The church is like a boat, but it's not like a cruise liner. 
right? Church, we, we've identified that. If you're hearing it for the first time, quick version, like a lot of people tend to pick churches the way they pick a luxury cruise. Well, do I like the music? Do I like the speaker? Do the seats, are they nice and cushy? Am I going to be comfortable? The church is not the SS overflow and we sail to the shores of heaven together. That is not the church. That's a consumeristic mentality, which is kind of counterintuitive to the kingdom of God. The church, we've said before, to quote C.S. Lewis, is more like a battleship where we say yes to Jesus, we come alive in Christ, and because of the grace and mercy and love he's shown us, we now look at the rest of the world not as enemies, but as people we have compassion for that we get to be on a rescue mission to. So we pray, God, what local church do you want me to be a part of? We walk in the doors and we go, reporting for duty. I am here to enlist in the army of God. I know nothing, but I'm down to follow Jesus. What do you need? Can I serve in the parking team? Do you need some coffee? Do you need kids ministry? Can I scrub the stage? You need some prayer? Can I, like whatever we need, let's reach this city. That's what the church is. And so like we get in our battleship for today. It's like a fishing boat, right? And we're like, oh, let's catch men. Let's go fishing for men. And what I've heard this preached as, it's like, okay, so what do we do? We're in our boat called overflow. And then we get all our systems ready, right? Like system by system by system. Like, oh, we got to have the small groups. And these are good things, right? We have kids ministry a certain way. And we got to have our discipleship program and our onboarding class and make sure we have an assimilation ministry. And, and it's like, ah, oh, systems. And those are good. I'm for it, right? And we get all our local stuff ready and we get all our systems ready. And then we get our resources, like the fishing line. And the more resources you have, the further you can cast people the further away you can reach people. So we get our resources together and we got our systems together, but then we get the bait. We get the bait and we're like, all right, people need Jesus, you know, down in South Bend. People need Jesus over in Detroit. Maybe even people need Jesus all the way over in India. And so what do we do? We get our missionary or we get our church plan. We got like church planner Bob or missionary Linda, right? And what do we do? We train them up. We give them language training and we spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours and we get them as ready as we can. And we're like, all right, Linda, all right, Bob, it's time to cash you to Detroit because they definitely need Jesus. And then we're just like, ah, and we cast them. And we're like, all right, fishing for men, right? And then what happens? They're there for six months. They start a Bible study, maybe 12 months. And then we reel them in. And we're like, hey, Linda, hey, Bob, how's Detroit doing? How's India doing? And they're like, oh, it's great. We started a Bible study. One person got saved. Two people are like, oh, great. and this is okay. This isn't bad, right? I'm not saying this is bad. But it all of a sudden becomes this really interesting paradigm. We're reaching into other ponds becomes dependent on our bait and how far we can cast them. And it gets really weird at this point because what it can turn into is this like consumeristic mentality. Like even locally, we can go, oh, we want to catch people in Benton Harbor. So we got to make sure we have the right bait. We got to make sure we have the right speaker. If we have the right speaker, people will come. If we have the right worship leader, if they're good looking, a little edgy, wear ripped jeans and can play all the new songs, then people will come. But the problem is what you catch them with, you got to keep them with. And if people are coming for a speaker, when that speaker's gone, guess where they go? Away. When people come for a worship leader or they come for a, a certain person or a ministry, when they come for the bait, when the, all of a sudden the bait's no longer there, guess where they go? So sometimes we, we can inadvertently create this consumeristic mentality where we're throwing, casting people out and reeling them in and it's all about the bait. Other times, let's say we cast them out to Haiti or we cast them out to India and we're going, ooh, I may have just messed that up. Y'all can tell I'm a pro fisherman here. And we cast them out. That was amazing. <laughs> Bam. 
We cast them out. And then we're like, oh, let's go visit Church Planner Bobby or, or Missionary Linda. And we go on a short-term mission trip. And we're like, hey, we're here to see what's going on. We want to meet the church people in your Bible study. Can we go by the orphanage? And we go by the orphanage and we take a picture with the orphan. And they're like, wait, their eyes were closed. It needs to be open for the gram. I'll get more likes. And then like we do it and, and it's less of a mission trip and more of poverty tourism. Where we don't even know their name. We don't have a relationship with them. And then what do we do? We drop off a bunch of stuff, pat each other on the back, and we're like, we did great work. And we come back, and it's more like Christian PR. And then we reel in our church planner, or we reel in our missionary. And I have seen this in Haiti. I've seen this in Nicaragua. I've seen this in Colombia. I've seen this in Peru. There's a great book on it called When Helping Hurts. Sometimes you actually create a spiritual void because you've created a poverty mentality where they're dependent on another church's faith for them to even exist. And what happens when this church goes through a rough patch or loses funding, all of a sudden this church loses funding and that missionary comes back and you've created a void. Jesus talks about voids in people. He said, when you cast a demon out of somebody, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come in, it's actually worse. Seven more demons come in. When we do missions like this, sometimes it's worse because we create dependency issues and all this. Now, I'm not, there are times when this is an effective strategy. Like if nobody in that country knows Jesus, sometimes you do have to parachute missionaries in. I've been a part of those efforts. I'm not saying it's all bad. What I am saying is when Jesus looked at Peter and said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And he looks at each and every one of us today and says the same thing. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I don't think Peter thought of this. Joel, would you mind grabbing that next prop? Because, see, Peter would say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. We don't fish with rod and reels. We fish with nets. I have heard sermon after sermon preached with this illustration, but that technology did not exist when Jesus said this. He looked at Peter and he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter said, well, we fish with nets. And what are nets? Nets are things that we spend time and effort mending and preparing, and we spend our resources, and we intertwine our resources together, and then we in our local boat, a good fisherman in Peter's time would not fish with one boat. He would go out with a fleet of boats, and then they would cast nets together over a region of the pond, over a region of the lake, and instead of reeling in one fish at a time, when they worked together as multiple boats, a.k.a. multiple churches— and they combined resources, they could pull in a harvest of fish over and over and over again using local expertise and local boats working together to cast their nets together and pull in together. This is why, I don't know if you know this, Overflow, we are a part of a network, get it, of churches called Water's Edge. Like, it was started by a church an hour north of here called Central, and they planted a church in uh, Grand Rapids with Pastor Torin. Some of you may know him. They're amazing. They're rock and roll over there. Torin knew Grand Rapids really well because local fishermen, like, if you were going to go fishing in another pond, you wouldn't just show up with your boat and paddle around. You would go to that nether lake or the other sea. You would find a local fishing captain and say, take us where there is fish, and the captain of the local pond who knew the waters would take you to where the most fish was and you would fish together and reel them in. So as opposed to casting bait over into a pond you have no reference point for, you can partner with local. That's what we do with Water's Edge. That's what Overflow was. Pastor Brian planted it. It's amazing. But a few years ago, Central and Brian kind of linked up and he was like, hey, I think we could catch more fish 
if we had more resources. And so a church an hour north of here, most of those people you don't know, gave a lot of money to strengthen the net and the boat that is overflow. And we became a part of the Water's Edge family. And then not too long ago, a church up in South Haven, LifeBridge, joined the network. You see what's all of a sudden happened over Southwest Michigan? There's a net cast. You have a boat in Benton Harbor. You have a boat in South Haven. You have a boat in Holland. You have a boat in Grand Rapids. Now, if you know anybody that needs a church in Southwest Michigan within 30 minutes, you can invite them to a church that you know and believe in that believes in Jesus. That's the power of fishing with nets. And so one of the things I get to do, like I said in announcements, is I get to work with our international churches. And I get so fired up about it, guys, because like it says, go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations. And so on Friday this week, I'm hopping on a plane heading over to Jakarta, Indonesia to visit our church over there called Pangrango, led by Pastor Sandy in Bogor. Bogor is one of the highest densely populated Islamic populations in the world. Pastor Sandy has been kicked. He has a venue about the size of our lobby. That's his auditorium for his church. He's been kicked out of a venue over five times by Islamic police forces and political oppression there. And this guy just keeps coming back and keeps coming back. How many of us, if the police showed up and said you couldn't have church, we would maybe give it a break for a second. Pastor Sandy was meeting the next day, just finding a venue. He's like, people need Jesus. People need Jesus. This week, there are 10 people getting baptized at that church, nine of which were either Muslim or Buddhist before. Like, yeah, we can give God a hand for that. (laughs) Pastor Sandy is so amazing. So in that space that is the lobby, they started with one service. After the pandemic, now they have three services on Sunday, and they filled up. So two weeks ago, they started a Saturday night service. How many of you love, you love Jesus enough you would come to church on Saturday night? Yeah. Amen. Amen, Overflow. I knew you guys were good. Like 70% of y'all were like, yeah, 30% of y'all were honest. You were like, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're like, college football? Um, but like, so they got one service on Saturday night, three services on Sunday morning. And here's what's cool. He has been crushing it for Jesus over there. And we've been sending some resources to strengthen and widen his net. But they've ran out of space. How great of a problem is that? Look at the seat next to you. Is it empty? So we know what we get to do this Christmas. Fill that seat with somebody that needs Jesus. Amen? Amen. Not so we can have a big church, but so that we can fill up heaven. And so Peter, or not Peter, Sandy took this upon himself, and they've been growing that church. And it's just awesome. Watch them. Check out, look up Pangrango Church on Facebook or go to watersedge.org. Check them out. But they filled it up four times. And so a year ago, we were like, okay, we need to get them a building. So we were looking at land, and then we were looking at a building. It was going to cost $1 million U.S. dollars. I know, right? It's like, woo, ha. But again, we have a bunch of churches coming together. I don't know if you know this. Every dollar you give here, a percentage of it goes to the work we're doing overseas goes to help save and rescue kids starving from hunger, goes to help save and rescue families from sin and hell. Like, it's amazing what God's doing internationally. And so we found this building. It's going to cost like a million dollars. But y'all remember the pandemic? I know y'all probably remember it. Yeah, we just got out of it. So what, God, what the enemy means for evil, God can use for good. And so just down the road from the church, this restaurant ended up closing down. And you know what that restaurant's going to be perfect for? A church. It could seat three to almost 500 people, and it cost a fifth of the price that we were going to pay. So that's why I'm flying over there, because we got to sign some paperwork and try and strengthen their net, get that boat even bigger, and watch what God does in all the nations, even the nation of Indonesia. And you guys are a part of that. 
Like, I'll take it to another level. We got Pastor Pana in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, beautiful church that you guys help fund. They, as of three weeks ago, are regathering after the pandemic. They have been feeding over 50 families a week because of the pandemic, people without food or water. They've been resourcing them. They have a soccer ministry that is just dope. Like, young boys are getting saved in this ministry. And after they regathered, they've seen over 150 people coming weekly to this church in Phnom Penh right now. That's because of you guys. Y'all know what's going on down in Jamaica. Y'all know I mentioned Jamaica like once a month. We got a church called Zeal down there that I get to help lead with an amazing Jamaican couple called Lazana Nomar. We just got word last week that they've lifted the COVID regulations that now up to 100 people can gather. So we may get to start having some gatherings back down in Kingston. Can I get an amen for that? Woo! And Joel, you guys can come on back up. We'll, we'll round it out with one more song. But as they do that, I just want to share with you a few more of the opportunities that we get to be a part of. Because y'all know we have Pastor Peter Machenko over in Ukraine in Kiev. If you didn't, I'm going to tell you about him. If Ukraine wasn't always Ukraine. Some of you older people know this history. It used to be a part of the USSR. It was a communist country, a part of Russia. In other words, Christianity was illegal. You couldn't follow Jesus in, in Ukraine. Then in the 80s, when they became independent, a seminary was started in Kiev. Pastor Peter was the first class that graduated from that seminary. And over 10 years ago, Central started funding Pastor Peter. He planted a church called Transformation Church as a local who understood the local pond that was Kiev. 10 years later today, guys, this church just launched their third service. By the way, that's weird. In Kiev, when Pastor Peter, he came over here for a conference at Central, and he actually came to Overflow one time, and he saw that we were doing two services, and he was like, you can do two services? He didn't under, they didn't understand that concept. And so he introduced it to the church. They ran out of space, and he's like, we're launching another service. And they were like, the same service? They didn't get it. And then all of a sudden, they doubled in size. They just launched their third service, and they've almost broken 1,000 people a week in that church. It's amazing. On top of that guy, like, I just get chills when I think about this. Pastor Peter, under their own auspice, has planted 12 daughter churches around Kiev, launching more boats and more nets. If we get enough resources in through this end of the year giving, we're actually going to partner with three of those church plants and bring them into the Water's Edge network and start offering even more resources so they can broaden their nets. Pastor Peter may be, maybe we think so far, he may be the first pastor to retire in Ukraine. We may get to be a part of retiring one of the first pastors in an entire country. They don't even know how to do that. Like his, his elders were like, uh, at some point, he's going to need to die. I don't know. Like, he's going to move on, right? Like, what do we do? And so we are actually raising funds to help him retire and pass the baton. Like, that's legendary, guys. And in the new year, we're hoping and praying that our international nets, our international boats will go from four to possibly eight. We're talking with a church down in South America right now that may jump into the Water's Edge family. And I'm saying this to all of you because you're like, how does this impact me? First and foremost, I just want you to know that one day in heaven, you're going to have a Ukrainian run up to you and be like, spasiba, spasiba, spasiba. And you're going to be like, what does that mean? It means thank you. And they're going to give you a big hug. And you're going to be like, I don't know you. And they're going to be like, I know. But you gave in Benton Harbor. And you prayed and you served and you went fishing in Benton Harbor. And you were a part of building a church there. And because of you and your generosity, it funded a church over in Kiev, Ukraine. And that church had an open door where my mother came in and got saved. And she raised me in a godly home. And I am in eternity forever with Jesus because of you. That's the power 
of the net. Like you may be over here and my giving and my resources and my talent may be over here and Sandy may be over here and, and Peter and those Ukrainian churches over here. But together we can cast a wider net and, and catch so many more people for the kingdom of God. We're hoping to see, right now we see about 1,200 to 1,300 people a week in our international churches. And in three years, we hope to see over 3,000 coming. And I say this to you, A, because I just want to say thank you. For those of you that actually give, thank you. You are literally, you have no idea the lives you're changing. I'm with them so many times down in Jamaica. I get to sit in their little homes and their huts and their shacks with them. And they look at me and they say, thank you. And it's not me, it's you. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of them. Seriously, thank you for what you're doing. But there's also like, as soon as travel opens up, I want, I, want, I want to take some of you guys with me. We have a mission trip tentatively planned to Ukraine in July. I heard y'all would want to come to Jamaica in January or February. And so, so we're trying to make that stuff happen. So be on the lookout for that. But one of the things I tell everybody that comes on a mission trip with me is we don't fly over one mission field to get to another. In other words, if you want to come with me on a mission trip, I require you to serve at your local church. Because I ain't going to bring you over there to serve if you're not serving here. I ain't going to bring you over there to witness and all that if you're not going to do it here. I want you to get revved up and do it here, go there, make exponential difference, then get fired up and come back here and take it to the next level. And so, like, be on the lookout for this stuff. God is doing huge things, and that's our prayer for overflow. Let's go fishing this December. Let's go fishing. Like, it reminds me of the first time I ever went overseas. Um, spring break, spring break, college. Yeah, not what you think. Um, I went to Guatemala and it was with the bassist from my worship team, not Noah, but that would've been dope if it was you. But uh, his name was Noah though. The bassist's name was Noah, that's insane, sorry. I'm just excited about this. I'm getting somewhere, hold on. So like, my, my bassist Noah came, a guitar player, a worship leader named Nathan, uh, a piano slash tech guy named Czar, crazy name, he's a Filipino, and another Filipino named Seth, and all five of us went down to Guatemala together to go surfing. But how many of you know when you travel with Christ followers, any trip becomes a mission trip? Now you call it, okay, you go on a cruise and you with Christ followers, somebody's getting saved, like somebody's getting prayed over, it's just the way it is. We were in a bank line in Panajachel, Guatemala, waiting to take out cash, and I hear somebody crying behind me, and I turn around, and I'm like, Noah, why is he crying? He goes, he just gave his life to Christ. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I just started talking to him, and he needed Jesus. So I shared Jesus with him, and he just prayed to accept Jesus. I was like, in a bank line? Do you even speak Spanish? He was like, enough to share the gospel. I was like, okay. Yeah, right? Like, you just, that's the way it works, like, when you're a Christ follower. You just kind of ebb and flow. Because of that, we found out we had a mutual connection to a coffee shop in Panajachel, like on Lake Panajachel. We show up to this coffee shop. They had a drum set. They had a guitar. They had a bass. And the coffee owner was like, hey, y'all, I heard y'all play. So we started playing. All we knew was John Mayer covers. And after, like, the third, you know, slow dancing in a burning room, we ran out of that. And so then we just started playing worship songs because that's all we all knew. All of a sudden, people started coming off in on the street, and we had, like, 30, 40, 50 people worshiping God in a coffee shop just because some Christ followers showed up and said, hey, God, we're just trying to follow you. Let's go. So we finally make it out to the Pacific Ocean. We spend a couple days surfing, and at the end of one of the days on the, out there, it was so cool. We were walking back, and we looked behind us, and there are these three men. And I have a picture of them. And it actually, what it ended up being was these three guys was a father or a grandfather, a father, and a son. And they were fishermen. 
And it was so cool because I, we watched him. We kind of like got to know him and we watched him. And the grandfather went out there with his net and man, he took that net and he had this little wrist flick and whoo, he just like chunked that thing out there. And it was like, whoa, he knows what he's doing. And then the dad, I have a picture of the dad. The dad goes out there with like a little bit more youth and energy. And he does this like hop step and poof, and he flings that net out there. And it was like, dude, these guys know what they're doing. And then they both came back and they handed the net to the son. He was like 12 years old and they're like, your turn. And he grabs the net and he was like, <laughs> and it like went three feet. And they laughed at him. They were like, ha, ha, And then they came back and they're like, no, no, no. And they, they just kind of taught him. And they're like, now watch grandpa again. Now watch your dad. Now do it again. And we watched him. And after the course of about an hour, this young guy was getting it out there. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of discipleship. Grandfather, father, son. Spiritual grandfathers, fathers, sons, spiritual grandmothers, mothers and daughters, like people that look at one another and they go, hey, I'm still trying to get better at casting my net, but come fail forward with me. Some of us, like we're, we're intimidated. We're like, I don't know if I can invite somebody to church because they know me <laughs> and they know how I act. And I'm, It feels like we're the boy and we're like, okay, come to Christmas. <laughs> and I want to let you know it's okay. We all don't get it right the first time or the second time. Some of us get it right a few times and then we get it wrong. But we just fail forward and follow Jesus and just look at the person next to you and go, hey, let me teach you what I've learned about casting the net. Let me learn from you and let's cast it together. Overflow, what if we went fishing this December? What if we really took this seriously? The last thing I'll say is um, I was at a time in my life graduating college not too long ago. It was a long time ago now. <laughs> but I was graduating college. It was like my junior year, senior year. And I was at Greenhouse Church in Gainesville, Florida. And I don't know about you, but back then, like when you're 21, 22, you ever get to that point in life when you're like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Right? Anybody? Some of us, we turn 30 and we're like, what am I going to do? With it? Right, Joel? Right? No, <laughs> he just turned 30, right? He's like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Some of us are 50 and we're like, I still don't know what I'm doing with my life, right? But I had one of those moments, like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I'm sitting in church, like on the fourth or fifth row, and it's after church. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, God, what am I going to do? What job should I apply for? Where should I go? And Pastor Mike Patz, he was the lead pastor of Greenhouse Church, saw me and and I'd been serving in the church for a while. A lot of people were like, I wish my pastor got to know me. Serve, then he'll get to know you. So I'd like served in the church for a while. So he knew me and he came and sat down and he was like, Corey, what's up? You look stressed. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> he was like, wait a minute. I was like, I just don't even know what to do next. And then he said this to me. He said, well, what's the last thing God told you to do? Do that. And I was like, wow, first off, that's profound. Some of us are going, God, what do I do next? What do I do next? If you don't, if he hasn't spoken, just do the last thing he told you to do until he tells you something new. That's a word for some of you today. But I'll be honest with you. I was like, I don't know what the last thing he told me to do is. And then he said, well, you know what you're supposed to do, right? You know, he's a pastor. I couldn't lie to him. I was like, no. <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, you're like, yeah, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> go make disciples. He's like, go fishing, go make disciples. And then he, like, he was such a good pastor because then he asked me this. He looked me in the eyes and he said, because he could tell I was floundering. Get it? Go fish. He could tell I was floundering. And, uh, and he said, uh, well, how many disciples have you made this year, Corey? That's a good pastor. 
look you in the eye and call you up. He wasn't talking down to me. He was standing in love. He said, well, how many disciples have you made this year? I looked at him and I was like, it was October. So we're almost done with the year. And I was just like, "Ah, maybe one, maybe, (laughs) you know, like "Ah, if I was lucky, you know. And he looked back at me and he goes, how long you been saved? And I said, since I was six. And he goes, hmm, well, I think you know what you need to do. Make disciples. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. One of the hardest things anybody ever said to me, but it changed my life. The next week, we started a Bible study in my apartment in Gainesville, Florida. Invited some fraternity guys that didn't know Jesus. By December, three of them gave their lives to Christ. By the end of that school year, out of that Bible study, we started just a night of worship called Unite Now. By the end of my time at UF, that grew to over 3,000 college students worshiping Jesus in the Wrights Amphitheater in the middle of UF. Out of that, I got invited to film a documentary in Tanzania with some missionaries over there, and I fell in love with international work for the kingdom of God. That led to getting to be a college pastor in a church in Florida, which led to pastoring in Lima, Peru, which led to an opportunity in Miami, which led to an opportunity in New York, then back in South Florida, and I met this crazy dude named Pastor Travis Ray, who introduced me to this guy named Craig Reese, who introduced me to this guy named Brian, who pastored a church in Overflow, and over a decade and a half later, I get to pastor you guys, all because I just said, okay, I'll make disciples. You see how making disciples can lead to your next step in life? It changes your life. If you don't know what to do, go fishing. Make disciples. And guys, I cannot wait to see what God does in and through this church. Through Pastor Elijah, through Pastor Joel, through Pastor Chad, through Abby, through the team here, through Noah, through you guys. Like, I mean, we're making disciples. Like, even if we got to birth them, we have like so many amazing women. Like, having we're growing this church one way or another, right? Yeah. But let's go fishing this Christmas, guys. And I, I just can't wait to celebrate what God does in this. Can we all stand together? And I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over this church as my time is winding down. And we're just going to sing one more song in faith together. Let's pray.